The team has done a good job today preparing us to hear God's word, yes? We've sung of his coming. Would you just thank the team? We don't do that every Sunday, but would you just thank them for leading us, using their gifts in that way? And for helping us to sing what is true, not just what feels good. We've sung of the return of Jesus. Um, one day that's going to come. One day I would love it if, that, if we sang of his return and then I just didn't even have to get up here because he just came. But he's chosen to tarry and so there's work to do. So here's, here's uh, the word to us from the Lord today, friends, is that he's going to talk to us about anxiety and about anxiousness and about being anxious and, you know, last week we talked about storing up treasure not on earth but in heaven. And so the interesting thing about that, of course, is that greed, if that's something we wrestle with, particularly as it relates to material possessions, is that it hides itself from us. That's what greed does. And it tends to make us think that's somebody else's problem, not my problem. Uh, probably somebody who has more stuff than I have, they've got the problem with greed. And so greed is sneaky in the way it hides itself from us. I don't think anxiety hides itself from us quite often. I think we're pretty aware uh, when we feel it. But I think what anxiety does and why it's tricky is that it convinces us that it's just part of who we are and there's nothing we can do about it. That there's no way to overcome it. And so, friends, I've been praying for you this week that the word of God would just fall, the seed that is, would just fall on good soil in your hearts and in my heart and that you would be reminded as Jesus gives us reasons why we don't need to be anxious, that this is God's word and it is sufficient if we will receive it and then allow it to plumb the depths of us that we don't have to be overcome by anxiety. I wanna remind us of that. And Jesus is gonna come to us full of compassion today, but also very directly to teach us about how we might wrestle and fight against anxiety. This has been an anxiety producing year for a lot of us. Yes. Lots of circumstances that would cause us probably to, to feel this sense of anxiety. That, that's normal. Uh, many of us have felt it. We've wrestled with it, still wrestling with it. And yet God calls us to not be anxious. That's what Jesus is going to say to us today. And so I pray that you would be able to receive that and that no amount of struggle over this last year would prevent you now from receiving what Jesus would give to you today because his word is true. If it doesn't feel true, it's still true. If you wrestle with it, what I don't want you to do is, dismiss, is to dismiss what Jesus will give you today and say, but my circumstances are far worse than what this word could ever deal with. That's not true. And it's also not true that anxiety is just part of who you are. Your anxiousness and the anxiety that you and I both experience are the result of living in a fallen world that's full of sin. And we understand that that is why we experience it, but it is not who you are. You hear me? It's not who you are. And you're not resigned to it. You're not resigned to it. The kingdom of God is coming. And in the kingdom of God, there will be no fear or anxiety. Yes, do we know this? And if we have been instructed then to walk in increasing measure in the coming of his kingdom in this world, that his kingdom is both a present reality and also something that has not yet fully come, then we are to be walking in increasing measure in victory over anxiety, not in surrender to it. And so we wanna learn how. That's not easy, it's challenging, but God's word is true and it's enough for us. And so we want to receive that today. So let me pray for us that that would be the case. And then we're going to look, continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. And we've got a kind of a fun set 
for a serious subject today, which maybe that'll help us. If you start feeling overwhelmed, just look at the fun set and that'll help you. Uh, we've got VBS this week, by the way. If your kids aren't signed up and, and you got some space for them this week, we'd love for them to come to VBS and just be ministered to. It's gonna be a blast. We're looking forward to it. All right, let me pray. Lord, as we come to this subject, even as I say the word, you're gonna talk to us about being anxious. That just maybe puts a knot in some of our stomachs. And I pray that you would, in your great compassion, come to us and teach us. And would you guard my mouth to speak what is true and helpful. Let it be both of those things. Thank you that your word is true and it's sufficient. And so we receive its challenge and I pray for my friends and for myself that as whether they are right here in the room or at home, um, my prayer would be that this seed of your word would fall on good soil in our hearts and that you would not allow the enemy to pluck it up or to root it out, the cares of the world, to take it away, but let it produce a harvest of righteousness a hundredfold because it's your word and that's how powerful it is. Great in Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 25, Jesus has been talking to us about all these subjects and today here's his command to us. He's gonna just say a very simple thing. Don't be anxious, but trust God with your entire life. Don't be anxious, but trust God with your entire life. And let's see how he teaches that to us. He says these words. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So as we come to the word of the Lord, a couple things. I want to give you six reasons Jesus gives us here to not be anxious, but we need to understand a little bit about what he means when he says that word anxious um, before we kind of dive into that. So let's remember now, you know, all words have a range of meaning. Like if I say the word good, I can mean everything from like something tastes good or it's pleasant. I can also mean something is morally right. Right, So that word good can carry this range of meanings. Same thing here with this word anxious. It has a range of meanings. Sometimes in the scripture, this word is translated as concern. Like when Paul says, there's no one like Timothy to the Philippians in Philippians chapter two. He says, there's no one like him. He is so genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's a good thing, right? He's so genuinely concerned for 
that you would walk with the Lord. So it's this positive thing. But then other times, like here, Jesus uses the same word in negative context. He says, don't be this way. Don't be anxious. Now, the idea there is that somewhere in this spectrum of understanding, concern about things can become being anxious over those things. Have you experienced that? Where you've gone from being rightly concerned to being overwhelmed, being anxious about something. And so where Jesus would say, yes, absolutely be concerned in a right way, he says to us, don't be anxious. Now, I don't know when you cross that line. I can't tell you in your spirit when you go from being rightly concerned to being anxious, but here's my best understanding of it, is that you go from being concerned to being anxious when your actions, your thoughts, your actions, your thoughts, and your emotions are controlled by the thing you're concerned about. In other words, rather than moving forward in the purposes of God for your life, you are so consumed with that thing that you're frozen or perhaps spinning uh, in doing other things. And so when Jesus is saying, don't be anxious, he's not saying it's, you should never have an anxious thought in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Do you know that that's not true? You're gonna have an anxious thought. You're gonna have a day. In fact, Paul himself talks about his ministry for the gospel, and I don't know if you remember this, but he says, I have had many sleepless nights being concerned with those of you who I'm trying to share my life with and share the gospel with. I love that because if Paul had some sleepless nights, you and I may have some sleepless nights, yay? Not yay, like yay, woo-hoo. I meant to say yes, but somehow it came out as yay. You get what I'm saying? He's not saying you're never gonna have a feeling of anxiety. He's not saying you're never going to be anxious about a circumstance. He's saying you can't let that control you where it's all you can think about, where you're so despondent and despairing in your emotions because of that thing that makes you anxious and you stop moving forward in what God invites you to do and has called you to do because you're just too, it's just too much. I think somewhere in there is the understanding of what he means. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be overcome by that thing that makes you anxious. That's the first thing we have to understand is that he's not condemning ever having an anxious thought, but he is helping us understand that we are to be increasing in our victory over anxiety. Now, Jesus is commanding something, and I love this. It is a command. You see that. It's what we call an imperative when he says, do not be anxious. It's not a request. It's not a nice suggestion. It is a command, and he's saying, don't be anxious. But then he goes on to say, uh, well, sorry, I should say, isn't it good when Jesus commands things that we already want? Do you you want to not be anxious? I want to not be anxious, yeah? And so I love that. Sometimes Jesus commands things that are hard to want. They're good and they're right and we should learn to want them. But if we're honest, we don't necessarily want them right away. So let's celebrate that Jesus gives us a command that is something that we also want. That's a really good thing. Now, With that, with that, um, we need to understand as we're in the fight, how do we, how do we fight that battle? And so Jesus is going to give us six reasons not to be anxious, six reasons not to be anxious. And I'll just walk you through them. And here's the first one. The first reason not to be anxious is because the purpose of our lives is bigger than whatever we are anxious about. 
The purpose for which God has placed you on the earth is bigger than whatever it is that you're anxious about. No matter how big that thing may be, God has a purpose for you that if you can see it and stay focused on it, it will help alleviate being anxious. In fact, what he's saying is understanding that you live for a reason is part of how you fight against anxiety. Look at how he says that. He says in verse 25, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. Now pause there. There's a reason why he talks about eating, drinking, and clothing. Those are all basic necessities of life, right? Now what I want you to make sure you understand is that this is not Jesus saying, hey, don't be anxious about those things, but it's okay if you're anxious about other things. As if he would say, don't be anxious about what you're gonna wear, but being anxious about that relationship, A-okay, no problem. In other words, he's choosing the basic necessities of life because he's saying, don't be anxious about anything. If you're not anxious about where your next meal is gonna come from, him providing that for you, if you're not anxious about him providing what you need to drink, if you're not anxious about him providing clothing to wear, which you need, he says later, your heavenly father knows you need all of these things. If you're not anxious about those things, then there's nothing else that you need to be anxious about. That, we need to understand that. It's a broad command, right? And so Jesus is saying that. Now, he says, is not, the first thing he says then is not he'll provide those things. The first thing he says is what? Isn't life more than those things? Isn't the purpose of your life something more than those things you're anxious about? Now, friends, just think for a moment because you came in here today and you're probably, there might be something you're anxious about. A relationship, something about the future, something about your job, a relative, a friend has gone astray and you're feeling anxious about it. And the Lord would say to you first today, that thing that you're anxious about is not as big as the purpose for which I placed you on the earth. And then he tells us that purpose because he's really kind later in this text when he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's saying your purpose, the reason, and this is true for every one of us, the reason we live is to know God and serve him in the world. Is to know God and to serve him in the world. And that glorifies him. That's the ultimate thing. It brings him glory. But we bring him glory by knowing him, treasuring him, wanting to know him more than we want anything else in the world. And then in knowing him, serving him in whatever, and that's different for each of us. He's given you a way to serve him and you a way to serve him and me a way to serve him. And he's saying, when you keep your eyes on that, it has a way of helping you let the small things be small. And even when they're big things, they remind you they have not prevented you from doing the thing God placed you on the earth to do. Now, here's, here's two realities. Number one, have you ever thought about, I mean, let's just do a little survey here in your mind. How many of the things that you worried about this week were really that big a deal? I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, would you acknowledge that maybe a number of those things were not worth worrying about? In light of the fact that God has put you on the earth to serve him and to know him, and those are the big things, does the fact that the dishes didn't get done quite in the timeline you wanted them to get done about and you worried about that seem a little less significant? I mean, even that you got passed over for that promotion at work, which is, I'm sorry, that stinks. But does that help you maybe kind of think, hmm, that's not as big as I maybe thought it was. That's the first thing. And, and I want a little aside here. How many of you would consider yourself detail-oriented people? Pretty type A, pretty detail-oriented. Okay, more of you in this service than the first service. Can I help you with something? You may be more prone to being anxious than some of us because every detail seems equally important to you. Is that a fair statement? 
Like when you think about the level, some of you are smiling at me, but you're afraid to say yes. Yeah, absolutely. I have this ongoing conversation with some relationships in my life too. Where So I'm a big picture person. Now let, listen to me now. Those of us who are big picture people, let's really appreciate what God has done by giving us detail-oriented people. Yeah? Some of you are like sitting next to your spouse and they're that person. You better say yeah. Because here's the thing. Our detail-oriented folks often are so great at helping us see what needs to be done to get tasks accomplished. They're fantastic at strategy. They're really good at hospitality and caring for the details of people's lives. That's really good. Maybe the the sort of pitfall sometimes of being a very detail-oriented person is that you have trouble discerning how to prioritize those details because they all seem equally important. And for those of us, can I tell you, those of us who aren't wired that way, you look at us who are big picture people and go, how does anything ever get done with that person? Because you think to yourself, like they don't even think about the details, but we are people who live our lives with our eyes set on the main thing. And you know what that helps us do? Prioritize. And it makes us not sweat the small stuff. Now, we're glad for you. You be glad for us too, okay? And here's where the body of Christ is so beautiful and comes into play. If you're a person who, who struggles sometimes, and here's the, here's the indicator, by the way, if like the timeline gets crunched and it gets really stressful and you're a detailed person and you find yourself like cleaning the counters and you're like, that is the wrong thing to be doing right now. That's what we're thinking, by the way, those of us who are, who are like, that's why are you doing that right now? There's like 12 other things you should do first before that. Let us help you. Because in that moment, you help us by helping us care about details that like matter. But we can help you by saying, hey, maybe, maybe these three things should be the first things we try to tackle. Because that's what we're good at. So the body of Christ is a beautiful, beautiful help in that moment. Everybody say amen to that. Perfect. All right, fantastic. So grab a big picture person. Get them in your life. If you're a detail-oriented person, it will help you. Help you stay focused on, let's go back to the main point. The purpose of your life is to know God and to serve him. And if you keep your eyes on that, it will so tremendously help you. And can I just tell you too, let's always remember this. God's purposes will be accomplished through your life. If you desire to serve him, his purposes will be accomplished in your life. Nothing will be left undone. Nothing will be left untaken care of. You do not have to fear that the kingdom is not gonna come through your life in the way that God designed and desired it to come through your life. If you can understand that and walk in that, it will alleviate you of so much fear and anxiety. And that is something I promise you. And bigger, let's go bigger than just, because there are times where you're gonna want to do something for the Lord and it's not gonna happen. And can I just tell you, he'll do it through somebody else. It's okay. You don't have to crush yourself that that wasn't accomplished through your life. And then let me just say even bigger, nothing will keep the kingdom of God from coming into the world. Nothing. No secular ideology or agenda. No political force. No war. No foreign nation. No rebellious teenager in your home. Nothing will keep the kingdom of God from coming into the world. It has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. 
He sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits because his work is accomplished. It is done and he will come again. And when he comes again, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Now we see as in a mirror dimly, then we shall see face to face and we shall know fully even as we are now fully known. You do not have to be overcome. You do not have to be overcome by anxiousness by any circumstance around you because the kingdom of God is coming and it will come. And if you can keep your eyes on that, so many other things fall into place. You with me? The second thing he says to us, not just that he reminds us of our purpose, but now the second thing he says in verse 26 is that we are valuable to God. Now hear me, friends, for those of you for whom like being you know, God is talking to you now about your anxiousness and you're thinking, oh Lord, but it, it's so hard. And some of the things Jesus is gonna say are gonna be pretty direct and I want you to hear this first. There's a reason he says first, keep your eyes on your purpose. Life is more than food and clothing and water. It's more than that. But then the next thing he's gonna say, he's gonna talk about the birds and he's gonna say, you're of more value than they are. And if I take care of them, I'm gonna take care of you. I love you. I, give me your eyes. I want you to hear this. He's talking to his children now, not to the world. He's talking to those who are his. He says to you, I love you. He says, look at the birds. Isn't this awesome? You can go outside today on your way home, watch the birds flying. You have a visible reminder today not to be anxious. And the flowers in the field, you just look at them. And when you look at them, you say, man, they are not smart. They don't know how to make a barn. They're not lazy, they work. He's not saying be lazy. But he says, they don't, flowers don't toil or spin. He says, the birds, they don't store up in barns. They, and yet, and yet, your heavenly father feeds them. And then what does he say? Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? What he's saying is, I love you. That's what gives you value. It's not how you look. It's not what you do. It's not how smart you are. You have value because I made you and I love you. Now listen, friends who are, you're not, Christians, you're not followers of Jesus. You have value. You are made in the image of God. That's true of every person, Christian or non-Christian. You are made in the image of God and you have value. But there's a unique, special, redeeming love of God that is upon his people and he invites you to come into that saving love. He invites you into it. And he's declaring here that if you want to fight against that anxiousness, all those circumstances that produce that anxiety, if you want to fight against it, Remember that I love you. Remember that I value you. I don't just love you because you're my creation and therefore I kind of have to. 
I love you and I value you. I find you valuable. And friends, this is not some humanistic, self-help, self-promoting gospel. This is the truth spoken by God through his son, Jesus Christ. I love you. He is so eager for you to understand that. So eager for you to let that sink deep into your heart so that whatever, whatever circumstance you encounter, can you imagine if every time you encountered a circumstance that caused you to worry, made you anxious, you stopped and you preached this truth to yourself, God loves me. He loves me. And then you filled it in with specifics. And can I just say, not the kind of specifics that are temporary. It's good to give thanks for temporary blessings like a home and a family and all these things. But even greater is to remember the eternal work of God that has demonstrated his love for you. We're gonna come to the table of the Lord, which is the greatest demonstration of the love of God, the cross of his son, Jesus. It stands forever as a fixed point in history, a historical fact that declares to you and I the love of God for us. And listen, let me just read to you the scriptures about God's love. Because it's, look, I cannot convince you he loves you. I could stand up here all day until I'm blue in the face trying to say he loves you, he loves you. It would not break through your heart. But the word of God is living and active. Listen to what he declares about his love for you. First John chapter three, verse one. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. He has made you his son or his daughter through Christ. First John chapter four, verses nine and 10 and verses 16 through 19. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He pursued you. He loved you when you hated him and poured out his wrath for sin on Jesus instead of on you. He loves you. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. He assures you that you will not be condemned on the day of judgment. You will stand and not fall because of his perfect love. And he drives fear out of your heart because you can look to that day and say, no, I will stand and I will not fall. Because Jesus has made it so, not my strength. Ephesians 1, chapter, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Hear me, church. He chose you to be his before making the world. He has purchased you with his blood. He has forgiven you. And he has revealed his will for the world in Christ to you. You are now someone who knows the will of God for the entire world. He loves you. Let me say, having thought about that love and the centrality of the cross to that love and the resurrection of Jesus, can I tell you this? You don't need anything other than the gospel to kill anxiety. Now you need to go deeper into it, let its implications go out further. You don't need strategies. You don't need ideas. You need belief in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Third thing Jesus gives us. Now, I'm so glad that he talked to us about his valuing and love for us because the next one is challenging. The third thing he says about not being anxious, he says, don't be anxious because we are not accomplishing anything good by being anxious. You see that? What does he say in verse 27 after talking about the birds and that he values us? Then he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Or in verse 34, he says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. What he's saying there is you can't control what's gonna happen tomorrow. It does you no good to worry about it. You can't make anything happen or not happen tomorrow by worrying about it. And he talks about, gives us a strategy of focusing on today then. So friends, do you see what he's saying when he says you can't add, you can't make your life a single hour longer by worrying. Whatever it is that makes you anxious, your worrying about it produces nothing of value. That's what he's just said. I see some sober faces out here right now. Do you understand what he's saying? He, he's saying it graciously to us. All your worry and anxiety is, is producing nothing. It's not helping. That's really practical. It doesn't help. So I love you, he says. Now that anxiousness, let me talk to you about that. It's not doing anything good. You might think it is. It might, it, one of the reasons it tricks us into making us feel like it's productive is because sometimes it sends us into a frenzy of activity when we're anxious. Yes, have you been there? You just start going, right? And it feels like, whew, yeah. That's the illusion of control. You think you're getting things done and therefore now, because I've gotten it done, now all things are, it's gonna be good. Do you understand no matter what you do, whatever you're fearful of could still happen? 
Absolutely, it can still happen. You didn't actually prevent anything. Now again, I'm not against hard work. Hard work's a good thing, right? The reason we're supposed to, to work, God made us to work, but friends, understand that we work as a response to the grace of God, not in order to keep bad things from happening to us because that's a foolish reason to work and it doesn't accomplish that end. It never has and it never will. That's what Jesus is saying to us. That anxiety doesn't produce anything good. Now, the strategy he gives us when he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, that's really his way of saying, he's saying, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. You don't be the one to worry about it, right? And then he says, not the most comforting thing, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You're thinking, oh, well, thanks for that. Right? But what he's saying is, I've, there's plenty for you to be focused on today. And that's a great strategy, actually. He's saying, stay present with me in the present. Stay focused on what I've given you to do right now. What's right in front of you? What's the next right thing that you need to do? You focus on that. I've got a task for you. I've got work for you. And I'm right here with you. So let's go do that. Let's be focused on that. Let's not worry about what might come tomorrow or the next day or the next day that doesn't do us any good. You and me together right now, let's go do the things that I've given you to do. And it helps. It helps if you stay present with God in the present and do the things that he's given you to do. Now, listen, I can't control anything about tomorrow. Who does control tomorrow and the next day? And the next day, the father does. So what a good thing to be with him in the today and walk with him. And anything he wants to speak to me about tomorrow, he'll speak. And anything he doesn't want to speak, he'll assure me with his love and his presence that he's got me. And that we're going to be okay. The fourth thing that Jesus gives, the fourth reason he gives about to not be anxious is because as our faith grows, our anxiety will shrink. So he's gonna tell us to focus on growing our faith. Now, here's what I wanna say. All these other strategies point to this one. All the other reasons point to this one because ultimately all our other focuses should be on growing faith. They all exist in order to grow faith because it's faith that ultimately puts anxiety to death in us. Look at what he says in verse 30. He's going to say it in a challenging way. He says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And he could have stopped there full stop and just been like, okay, I made my point. I take care of the grass. I'm going to take care of you. Same with the birds. But then he includes that little phrase at the end. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. And what he's pointing to by including that phrase, and it's when it's in the scriptures, you see the disciples, you remember they're fearful on the water in the boat with the waves, and Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. And what he's saying is, the reason for your anxiety is an insufficiency of faith. Now, we don't like to hear that. We don't like to face that. But friends, if you don't face the theological problem in your heart, all the therapeutic solutions in the world will do nothing for you. The theological problem is the root. And he's saying that there is an insufficiency of faith in us when we are overcome, again, not just because we had an anxious thought, but when we're overcome by that anxiety, it controls us. When that's the case, he's saying the remedy is greater faith. 
a greater sufficiency of faith. Now, all the other things I've given you are to help grow that faith. My proclamation of my great love for you. My proclamation that I have a purpose in the world and for your life. My proclamation that I control tomorrow. You don't need to worry about that. Do the task I've given you to do today. All of that is aimed at doing what? Helping you trust him. Have faith in him. Faith is the ultimate remedy. Faith in who God is. Now here's the good news. Is that means we don't have to focus on 25 different strategies for getting rid of anxiety. All of them are subsidiary to growing faith. So we focus on that. How do I grow my trust in God? And here's one simple way to do that. All the other, he's already given us, you know, preach the gospel to ourselves, remind us of God's love, remember that he has a purpose for you. But I'll also just say this. We talked about doing the task that he's given you to do. Ask, let me ask the question, are you serving him with the gifts he's given you? One of the key ways to grow faith is to try to serve God, to do things in service to him. And as we do that, we'll need him. We'll have to depend upon him in the use of our gifts. And in depending upon him, we will find that our faith grows because he will show up and move through us. I, I promise, I know many of you know this, when you've served the Lord, hasn't, haven't some of those times where you've watched God move through you in a particularly powerful way to, to speak a word at just the right time into someone's life or to, to disciple someone, to mentor them, to encourage them, to, to provide a meal for someone in need. When you've done that, have you not found a profound sense of growing faith in your own heart? Wow, God, you did that. You didn't take credit and say, I'm so great. <laughs> Look at me. You said, wow, God, you're real. God, you're alive. God, you're on the move. And when you do that, it grows faith. So friends, get, get busy serving in that way. I'm not saying don't tend to the other realities and have rest and all that, but make an active practice of serving. It grows faith in the Lord. The fifth and sixth reasons, and then we're gonna come to the table of the Lord. The fifth reason Jesus gives us is that we should be different than people who don't believe in Jesus. We should be different than people who don't believe in Jesus. Verse 32, he says this, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And now what could be interesting here is Gentiles, he's comparing to Jews at that moment, which is basically people who believe in God and people who don't believe in God. And so the new covenant understanding that we might bring to that is to say, now those who believe that Jesus is the way to God and that we have relationship with God restored through him and those who don't believe that. And friends, the recognition is that the world is messed up. And there's a reason why if you're not a follower of Jesus, you should be overwhelmed with anxiety actually because the world is a crazy place, a dangerous and unsafe place. It's a place wrecked by sin. It's a place destroyed. Every modicum of it, every part of it is not the way it's supposed to be. That's a fearful place to spend your days, yes? But those of us who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus now belong to a new city. We are citizens of another place and nothing here can harm us. Nothing here can touch us. They can kill the body, but they cannot touch the soul. We are his forever. And he's saying, if that's true, then we shouldn't live like it's not true. If it's true, then we shouldn't live like people who don't know or believe in God and aren't restored in relationship to him like Jesus. 
greatest testimony the church will speak into the world, I am convinced, in this season of our country's life is that we will be fearless. We won't be overcome by anxiousness, whether it's about physical illness or whether it's about a rising aggressive secularity in our society. But we will move through the world like graceful dancers who know how to navigate turns, full of love for people and humility and grace and truth and unafraid to speak it, rejecting secular philosophies but taking up righteous causes of justice, that we're gonna be like that, not like people who respond to the circumstances around them as if God is not real, as if God does not love them. We'll make some mistakes in that and when we do, we need to repent We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to say to God, I didn't handle that like someone who knows you're alive and who's been reconciled to you by Jesus. I didn't love them, my neighbor. I should have loved them. I was quick to judge rather than quick to listen and slow to speak. I wasn't bold enough with the truth. I shrunk back. I acted as if that secular idea was true and it's not true. I'm convinced that will be our greatest testimony to the world in this day if we will be a people not overcome by anxiousness and anxiety, but full of peace and love. And we can be that. We really can. We can be that. Because Jesus is enough for us. So he says we should be different. Now I love there, by the way, that he says... We're not like the Gentiles. And then, you know, the next thing he could say would be, we don't do this or we don't do that. You know, that's not morally good. He says, we're not like the Gentiles in that we worry about all those things. And then he says, your heavenly father knows you need them. As if to say, yeah, just like Gentiles, we all recognize we need food, clothing, shelter. We we need these things. And the father knows. We just are those who don't fear about them because we know he will provide because we know he will be enough. And then the last thing, sixth reason he gives us is that God will not withhold anything from us that we need. Some of us have a picture of God that he's like a withholding father, that until we do good enough, uh, until we do enough to serve him, that he's gonna withhold. But that is not the truth about who God is. He does not withhold anything that we need to serve him. That's what he means when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things will be added to you. In other words, what he's saying is no one has ever sought to serve God with their lives and ever lacked anything they needed. If you don't have it, he will either give it to you in time or you don't need it. He will either give it to you in time or you don't need it in order to accomplish his purposes in the world. That's an important thing to keep in mind because we tend to get into this mindset that says, I need this thing and God has not provided and God is late and he is not late. As hard as it may be, he is not late. That's what he declares. If you seek to serve God with your life, you will have all that you need to do that work. All that you need. So friends, we can learn to trust that, can't we? Listen to Psalm 84, verse 11. Here's how the psalmist says it. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we can trust he is not withholding from us. Now, these six things Jesus gives us as reasons not to walk in worry. But as we said, the ultimate thing is the cross of Jesus. And we get to celebrate that today and think about it. So let me pray 
And then we're going to come to the table of the Lord and our worship team will come and our servers will come and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We are reminded of the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture that no matter how much we're wrestling with anxiety, what you have given us here in your word is sufficient. It's enough. We don't need this plus something else. So we pray that you'd help us to lean into the truth of your word and to believe in it and not to hold out against it. As we come to the table now, Lord, we ask that you would help us to rightly see your sacrifice on our behalf. Just to pause and to listen. Thank you, Jesus, for your great, yeah, just comforting kindness too. Thank you for not being harsh with us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as we come to the table, I, I always remind us of a couple things. Um, you know, the first is for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we don't come to the table lightly. So we are to take stock of our lives. We are to say, in effect, as we hold the elements in our hands, Lord, is there anything out of line? Is there anything not where it should be? And to let him speak into that. And I just want to encourage you specifically today, as we think about the work of the cross, it is the great faith-producing act in our lives. And as such, it is the remedy for our anxiousness. And so I want to invite you to ask the Lord and say, where am I anxious? Where am I anxious? Show me. And would you help me just to yield? Help me to yield. You'll never do it in your own strength. But ask him to help you. He will. He'll help you. So as we hold these elements in our hand, let's do that together. Those of you who are not followers of Jesus, just recognize that we'll, we'll invite you to let the elements pass. And here's why. We are partaking of them, and in partaking, we are proclaiming. We're proclaiming we believe. And, and that's not where you are right now. And so we don't want you to proclaim by partaking. And so we'll just ask you, let the elements pass, but consider and weigh the invitation that God makes to you through his son, Jesus, to be reconciled to him. Your sin has separated you from God, but he's made a way for that penalty to be paid. And it's through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So my encouragement to you is take stock of what's happening in your heart in these moments. Pay attention. God may be stirring, his spirit drawing. And if that were to be the case, we would welcome you. We want you to receive that not, and yield to it and not resist it because that's God drawing you. So we'll invite you to use this time as a time of reflection as well while letting the elements pass. So service, if you come, we'll take the elements together here in just a moment.